Good morning, everybody. Hey, before we get going, um, quick shout out to this side of the parking lot. All four groups of you holding down the four. I appreciate that. We're a little lopsided, but uh, I like preaching this way. So <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Hey, one of the oh, shots fired. Hey, one of the most fearful things about being a Christian for me is sharing my faith with non-believers. So over the course of my life, um, I, I, I joke that I was born uh, and then the following Sunday, boom, I was in the church nursery, right? My mom worked at church doing some admin work part-time. My dad was an elder. Like church is in the blood. It's just something we did as our family. So I had learned early on that as, as someone who follows Jesus, who puts their faith in Jesus, I have to go and share the gospel message. Now, the big church stained glass window word for this is evangelism. And I'm supposed to go evangelize all my non-churched friends or all my friends who don't have any faith in Jesus Christ. And that was terrifying for me because I, like probably some of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but for sure those of you online, um, have a fear of rejection, I don't like being rejected. So if in my mindset, I'm growing up going, okay, I need to do this. and I'm going to ask someone to put their faith in Jesus and they're going to tell me no. And then that's going to devastate me inside because I, I don't know what to do with that. So let me fast forward into junior high. There's a buddy of mine named John and we were throwing this big uh, youth ministry event, right? Bring all your friends. We're going to do the gospel. All your unchurched friends, bring them out. Ton of games, tons of food, all that good stuff, right? So I had prayed about it. I, I got all prayered up and I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to do this. And I invited my buddy John and he said, yes, yes. Okay. So far, so good. So I bring him there, right? We do the whole thing. We're playing games and we're getting prizes and giveaways and, you know, and then we transition, right? We've got the worship band that was just did a killer job. Uh, pastors up there preaching, awesome job. And so afterwards, the whole thing just kind of dies and we're waiting for my mom to come and pick us up, right? So we're just kind of hanging out there and then the conversation sort of dies. You know how every minute, every seven minutes or so, the conversation it just kind of ends and it's time for a new one. Well, this was my moment, right? I was all excited. I was all prayed up. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I say, hey, John, what did you think of tonight? What did you think of tonight? And he said, yeah, I liked it. It was fun. It was good. I'm like, yes. Okay, so far so good. One for one. Um, did you understand what the pastor was talking about? He said, yeah, yeah, it's a good message. It's positive. I'm two for two, people. I'm two for two. So here we go. This is the clincher, right? I'm going to hit a home run. I'm going to ask the question. And so I say, John, you know, um, can I lead you in a prayer and have you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Long, awkward pause. And he looks at me and he goes, no, I'm good. <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. Now, listen. I, I had been through, you know, I was on like a student leadership team, right? So I had been uh, trained on the Romans Road, uh, a little thing called evangelism explosion, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, the tried and true method, right? You wait for a crisis in somebody's life, then you swoop in with a Bible verse that's going to cure all their problems. Like I had done all the research that I knew how to do as a junior higher. I was all prayed up. Nothing would prepare me for the moment when I asked someone if they want to put their faith in Jesus and they respond with, no, nah, I'm good. I was dead. How do you recover from that? So in my brilliance, I went, that's cool. And then we sat there and waited for my mom to pick us up. Like that was my, that was my great evangelism. Like I, that was my thing. Now 
on the flip side, I've had other friends and uh, a buddy in seminary, we would go out and grab dinner before, uh, before class. And it would always appear to me that we'd be hanging out and he just, I don't know, he had this spiritual gift. It, it seemed to work for him. Like we would go up and order something and then the person serving us would go, what must I do to be saved? And boom, he would lead him to Christ right there on the spot. Like he was that guy. And that didn't work for me. It wasn't my thing. So it it led me to start thinking this question. How come it works for some people, but it doesn't work for other people? You know what I mean? Like, how how come my buddy at seminary, like he, I mean, all day long, he's just softball day. He's just home runs and always leading people to Christ. And it was, I just sat there and went, oh, this is amazing. And then when I got up to the plate and asked the question, I feel like I struck out every time. And, and I don't know about you, but maybe, you know, those of you who are in the edge or in, in any of our ministries, right, in junior high, high school, uh, maybe you've tried this, right, at friends at school or you just had conversations and you've tried to lead people to the Lord and there's kind of that awkward pause and, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Maybe you as like a mom or a dad, it's, it, well, maybe it's your kids, right? You, you raised them right. You prayed with them every night. You tucked them in. Uh, you brought them to church. You, you did Bible studies together. You did all this. And, and yet, yet it didn't seem to stick, right? Because as they got older and life kind of happened and maybe they kind of drifted away from the Lord. And yet maybe your neighbors, you guys did the exact same thing, went to the exact same church. And yet it seems like their kids are still following Jesus. Or maybe you've got a couple kids and one of them is following Jesus, but the other one isn't. Or wh- Why is that? Why does it seem to work with some people and not work with other people? And if you've ever been in that situation, if you've ever asked yourself that question, well, there's a passage in scripture that's going to address it, that's going to answer that question for us. And God is so good and Jesus is so good. He's going to teach us a parable this morning. And in that parable, he explains why the gospel message seems to take hold in some people and not in other people. And maybe, just maybe, my hope is this morning that we realize it has far less to do with you and I delivering the gospel message. And it has far more to do with the person receiving it on the other end. So if you got a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter 8. Best way to find it, those of you on the internet world, um, you simply just Google Luke chapter 8. We'll pick it up in verse 1. If you're here and you're old school uh, with pen and paper and a paper Bible, I encourage you just go to your table of contents and find Luke. It's in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, and come on this side. I mean, they crushed it. I was rooting for you big. As we started, so Luke chapter eight, we'll pick it up there. If you're uh, if you're there, say ready. If you need more time, say hold on. All right, that's all you get. You get one one water swig. <laughs> all right, in internet world, I hope you're with us too. Luke chapter eight, verse one. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also, I want you to underline, some women. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Husa, the manager of Herod's household. That's a big deal, by the way. That's a very, very big deal. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Out of their own means is simply um, a great way to sum up that these women had influence and they had wealth. 
So quick sidebar, we're not going to preach on this, but this is very, very important. I feel like we have to share. Um, What Jesus has done in the first century to elevate women to the standings of men is unheard of in his time. And I want you to know that, yes, Jesus chose 12 disciples to help carry out the mission. But make no mistake, women were foundational in Jesus's ministry. And I would even argue that his ministry would not be nearly as impactful if it weren't for the women that had stepped up and rallied with him. I'm not going to preach on it, but I think it's really important to know in the text, Luke is being very specific here by lining up the women and saying, hey, these people made a huge contribution to Christ in his ministry here on earth. So just a side note, you can read about it more. I encourage you this week, um, read through the gospel of Luke. You will see the works of women and how they have stepped up and helped elevate the church and Christ and his mission. That's a little extra bonus homework assignment. Okay, back into the text. Verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. And this will be the one that we're going to study. Verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture, right? So you got two, uh, two rocky soils, two paths, right? You have the path, nothing grew. You got the rocky soil sprung up and then died out. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and then it choked the plants out. And then here's the last one, verse eight. Still others fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. That's a good return. Are you with me? A hundred times, think of your 401k, right? Your entire retirement. And then one year in one season, boom, a hundred percent growth. That's some good soil. You might want to share that soil with some other people and bless the community. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Now, when he, when he had said this, he called out, this is weird. Jesus sometimes will speak in riddles. This is one of those things, right? He says this, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Which leads me to ask the question of were there people in the first century that did not have ears? Like there's crowds around him, right? You got the picture, right? You got the 12, you got the women, and you've got crowds of people around him. And he's teaching these things. And he says, if you have ears, you should hear. Well, they all heard. It's like saying, if you've got eyes, you should see what I'm doing. They're there. They're watching. And sometimes in my life, I sit here and go, Jesus, if it's that important, why don't you just come out and say it? Just be... Just be direct. Like, if you want me to turn right, tell me to go right. If you want me to go left, tell me to go left. I, you know, come on, speak to me, Lord, speak to me. It gets confusing sometimes. Then listen to this, verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. <laughs> Jesus is teaching the parable, and he's got, if you got ears to hear, man, you should hear. And the disciples go, okay, yeah, good job. That was great. Um, huh? What does this mean? Verse 10, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others, I speak in parables so that, and check this out, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. So good. What? (laughs) He did it again. Now he's quoting a passage in the book of Isaiah. It's well known if you're a first century Jew, you understand this. But the idea is simply this, um, that truth is hidden from those who don't want to see it. That's really what he's saying. He's saying there's four types of soil. And the reason I speak in parables is because, well, quite frankly, if people aren't able or willing to hear it, to embrace that truth, it's going to go right over their head anyways. But you, they've been revealed to you. You're willing to hear the truth. You're willing to accept the word of God that's been planted in you. That's what he's saying. So verse 11, 
because we still need to understand the meaning of this parable. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Okay, got it. So far, so good. I'm tracking with you, Jesus. The seed, that's the gospel message, right? The kingdom of God. Okay, verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes it away. The word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Right? This is my buddy, John. Brought him to church, heard the gospel. This is great. I understand it. And then devil snatches it up. Verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time, in the time of testing, they fall away. When life gets difficult, they're out. 14, verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. Underline the word worries, riches, and pleasures. We'll come back to that. Lastly, verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So Jesus teaches this illustration, right? He, he shares the parable with the disciples, with the crowd, with the women, with everyone that's there. And then he interprets it for the disciples that are there. And what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through some of those, uh, those four soils and maybe give us a different title. Maybe one that's a little bit more uh, relevant or easier to understand. Because sometimes it can be a little bit tricky. And so in your notes, we're going to be taking a lot of notes this morning. So I hope you came ready to write. You can do it on your app or uh, hopefully you got a pen and you're ready to roll. But um, I read a stat the other day that says uh, 75% of note takers are better looking, live healthier, and they have bigger bank accounts. I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, it'll entice you to take some notes. So here we go. Number one, the path, right? That was the first one Jesus talked about. The path equals a hardened heart. The path equals a hardened heart. So naturally, you got to ask yourself the question, how does your heart become hardened? Because at one point it wasn't, but it's become that way. So I think there are two ways, two primary ways. There's more, but we're going to focus on two for our time this morning. Um, the first one is blinded by Satan's lies, right? Because the devil snatched the seed away, right? We get blinded by Satan's lies. I'll give you a couple of these, right? Um, these are cultural lies, cultural values. These are Satan's lies, however you want to describe them. Uh, I'll give you a couple of them. One of them is um, you are what you do. You are what you do. So if you're good at it, you're good. If you're not good at it, your self-worth diminishes. Heaven forbid if you failed once in your life. Oof. That's a lie. You're not what you do. You're who God has made you. There's a difference there. The next one, love is transactional. What can I get out of this? What can you do for me? Another one, money will solve your problems. You ever heard that one? Life is short. Here's another one. Life is short. So if it feels good, do it. And then lastly, it can't be bad if it doesn't hurt anybody. No one gets hurt. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. And I think Satan's primary lie is simply this. You don't need God. You can do it on your own. After all, you've have been doing it on your own and then you found jesus but you could probably keep going that's the lie that's the lie and we start believing that and then boom our heart gets very very hard and then the last uh the second one is this um ignoring the truth i already have that's how your heart becomes hard let me give you one example of this um i think the topic of forgiveness I think is the best example of this. How does your heart become hard over time? By choosing not to forgive somebody. 
because you, you know that's the teachings of Jesus, right? Especially if you're a Christ follower, because you, that's the gospel message, right? Jesus forgave me, and he continues to forgive me. So I ought to go and do the same, right? That's how I love my neighbor, the way that Christ loved me. That, that's built into this system here. That's what we do. And by choosing not to forgive the first time, it's easier to choose not to forgive the second time, and the third, and the fourth, and so on and so forth. Are you with me? And over a while, over time, your heart just becomes hard. You just, you don't care anymore, which is precisely the problem because we're supposed to care. We're supposed to care. Let's keep going. The second one, the rocky soil. This represents a shallow commitment, a shallow commitment. Um, It's a fast start, but it doesn't guarantee a strong finish. Uh, I, I like to describe this more as the um, the emotionally the emotionally charged Christian. They hear the gospel, they accept, and boom, they're on fire. They're signing up for every ministry involved in the church. They want to serve everywhere. They want to tell all their friends. And you watch these people, and you go, "Praise the Lord! Look, that's awesome. More people should be like this." And then what happens? A trial comes up. Something difficult happens in their life. Maybe three weeks, a month, three months in, whatever the case is. But like, you've probably seen this before. In fact, you've probably experienced this before on some time. You're super excited and your life is transformed, but it's an emotional transformation, not a holistic transformation. And so you sign up and then when life gets difficult, you go, yeah, you start to wane a little bit. You start, you start to take your foot off the gas a little bit. You start to doubt, you start to worry but you started so strong. And what this soil represents is those that start really, really well, but they don't finish well. They get distracted. They get burnt out. Jesus didn't work the way that they thought Jesus should work. He didn't answer the prayer, the thought, or the way I thought he was going to answer the prayer. Jesus didn't pull through on this because if he was a loving God, certainly he would do this, right? This... This is the shallow commitment. The third one. Are you still with me? You good? Okay, we got two more. We got two more. Um, this, the, this soil, well, this is incredibly important for us because I believe that the American church, if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, I believe we could, we could wake up and find ourselves in this soil. We need to be diligent. We need to be intentional. Otherwise, we will. We will drift in and we will become the thorny soil which uh, I want you to write the words, number three in your notes, thorny soil equals misplaced priorities. God is important. God is good. God is first priority until he's not. We've got God at the top, and then uh, this option over here came up. And after all, Sunday's coming around again. There will be another one, right? So I'm going to seize this opportunity because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Sunday, Sunday's coming again. We'll be fine. And if I miss it, I, I could go online, right? It's on demand. How cool is that? So it'll be there. Remember those three words I had you underline in your notes? We're going to look at those real quick because they're very, very important. The first one is worry. I follow Jesus really, really well, uh, diligently, and my devotion to him is strong until something bad happens, and then I begin to worry. And here's how this works, right? We begin to worry because we have God's plan, and then we have our own plan. We've got God's kingdom, and then I have my own kingdom. And I start following God's plan and living in his kingdom until something difficult happens in life. And then I abandon ship, and I go, and I work on my plan and my kingdom. 
and I start building this up. And then what inevitably happens, and you know this, right? You've lived enough life to see this thing happen. You start living your life and planning or and living your dream and something bad happens over here. And then you start worrying about it because you've invested so much into your kingdom, into your life, into your dream. And you worry about it. And then you pray about it. And you say, God, will you bless my thing? Will you watch over my thing? Will you protect my thing? Will you give abundance for my thing, my plan, my kingdom? And the whole time God's going, I don't think it works that way. You're worrying about stuff you shouldn't be worrying about. First off, I don't want, to, I don't want you to worry about anything. But if you are going to worry, why don't you worry about my kingdom? Not yours. This thing over here will never be what you want it to be. But this thing over here, God's kingdom, is what you need it to be. And it has everything that you need. And it is, dare I even argue, way better, significantly better than any little dream that you and I could dream for our our little lives. Are you with me? But we worry about the wrong things and then we're stuck worrying and then the devil is just sitting there laughing at us going, I got you right where I want you. You are ineffective and you are worrying yourself to death. The second one in there, do you remember it? It's riches. It's riches. If we're not careful, the wealth that we accumulate and make no mistake, as Americans, we're wealthy people, right? We just, we might not feel like it because we know what our neighbor drives or lives in or whatever, but make no mistake, we are very wealthy people. And so what we do is we, we start finding our security in our possessions and we get really excited about what we've created with our hands and with our mind. And we look in our bank account and we can rest at night knowing that if something comes up, we can take care of it. And we start relying on our own work our own fruit from our own labor instead of trusting in god and we start building up our kingdom and building up our treasures over here on earth and not making the heavenly impact over here i think jesus said something about that too it's in the gospel somewhere you'll find it if you keep reading and then the last one the last word is pleasures the last one is pleasure, right? He said, you can, you can start up strong, right? If you're the thorny soil, you can start strong and you're growing, but then you'll get choked out by the weeds. You'll get choked out by worrying, by your riches, and then by the pleasures of life. These are simply distractions. These are things that throw us off our game where we get, oh, and we just go over here because something shiny happened. If we're not diligent, we'll fall into these. I'm going to give you just a couple of them, okay? Some of it could be academics and school, Some of it can be vacation or lifestyle or house or car or the the life that you're building. We can get so distracted on these things over here. Another one could be sports. Hello, somebody. Come on, Lyndon. And we'll keep going. Okay. The fourth one, this could be your business, right? You're trying to make a living, provide for your family. And all of these are good, by the way, but they can be distractions. Can they not? They absolutely can take our eyes off of Jesus and onto our own kingdom and onto our own thing. And Jesus is saying, if you are not careful, you will be all about the wrong things. And you're going to miss the eternal impact. And then the last one simply is, is just time. It's just time. We can be so distracted by time because, well, there's not enough. Maybe there's enough. We just don't manage it well. I, I don't know. But we can get so distracted on that because... It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And again, church, Sunday's coming around. There will be another one. But you see how, how easy that is? As soon as you miss your first Sunday, as soon as you miss your devotion time, as soon as you miss prayers of family, it becomes that much easier to miss it again. 
This isn't an instant thing. This is a gradual process. This is a slow fade. And we become the wrong soil. Then the last one, this is the good soil, right? I I simply write it this way. Uh, Number four, the good soil equals an open heart. You're simply available to do what God would have you do. That's the good soil. That's where you produce the fruit. That harvest of a hundredfold is in the good soil. That's the good stuff. That's where we want to be. Now, coming full circle when it comes to sharing our faith, our job is not to be detectives and figure out what soil each person is. Our job is to be the farmer, and the farmer simply grabbed the seed and scattered it. Just threw it around. It landed everywhere. It landed everywhere. Which brings me to say this. Um, evan- when it comes to evangelism, there is no silver bullet. There's no tried and true method or, or practice or discipline. Or you, you just grab the gospel message and you just you throw it around. You're, you throw it everywhere. You just scatter the gospel message and the seeds will land where they may. And it is God who does the process. It's not us. We grab the gospel, we throw it. It's the Holy Spirit that does the conviction. It's the leading. And what I did is I, growing up in my faith, I looked at other people and I went, um, you're probably the thorny. You've got great intentions, but yeah, we'll see if you follow through. You're definitely the bad soil. Like this side, bad soil. The good stuff. You know what I'm saying? But like, do you see how distracting that becomes? Do you see how the devil has me right where he wants me? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm trying to label God's people and say, well, you're, you're worthy of me sharing the gospel message because if I get rejected, at least, you know, at least it was you and I got to choose it. It's a distraction. And our job is simply to go and scatter the gospel message. The seeds will land where they may. But it, it takes seeds to produce fruit. It takes Christ followers to make disciples. And so, number five in your notes, just to kind of wrap it up, to bookend it. Number five, our job is to share the gospel with everyone and let them decide. We share the gospel with everybody. We let them decide. So here's the question as we wrap up. Who in your life needs to hear the gospel? Who in your life online? Yeah, you. Who who needs to hear the gospel? It could be someone in your family, a, a sibling. It could be a coworker. Maybe it's that person that you get coffee from every morning, right? You've, you've got a relationship and you know them and may, maybe it's them. Or maybe... Maybe it's you, right? Maybe you're that soil, like you sprung up early. As a child, your parents brought you to church and you accepted Christ and boom, you were all in, right? And then life kind of happened. And then again, that slow, slow fade. But who, who in your life needs to hear the gospel? And I simply, as a church, I, I just want to lead us in a prayer. And if it's you, I want you to say these words. And well, if, if you know somebody, I want you to lead them in this prayer. Because our job, again, is to scatter the seed, not to go and force someone to make a decision. So as a church, will you bow your heads with me? Will we come before the Lord? And honestly, if, if you've drifted away, now's a great time to come back. Be the good soil of the open heart. Don't be the seed on the path. So Lord, we come before you, and it's a very simple prayer. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 
for your death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of my sins and the eternal life that I get. Eternity with you. So if you're watching online or you're here in the parking lot or wherever you are, you can say these words out loud. You can whisper them. You you can just, in your mind, you can think these words. But I simply want you to repeat after me and say, Lord, today uh, I give you the steering wheel of my life. You direct my path. It is no longer I that's in control. It's you. I, I don't have all the answers. I don't maybe don't even know entirely what that completely means. But today, Lord, I want to be the good soil. I want that life. I want to reap the benefits, the blessings of following Jesus. I want that harvest that is a hundredfold. So today, Lord, I step over that line. I give you my life. Say, guide me, Jesus. Teach me. Show me your ways. And Lord, for those of us who've been walking with you for a very long time, would you give us names and faces? Would you give us divine appointments so that we can have conversations and we can scatter the gospel message for anyone and everyone? Lord, we believe that you are for everyone and that Jesus is the answer. And so, Father, would you give us opportunities to share that with those around us? And Lord, would it start with this church, the people right here, right now, Lord, Would we have conversations with family? And would we not worry about our approach or how we're gonna navigate the conversation? Lord, would we simply initiate the conversation and tell people about the good news of your son, Jesus Christ? And I pray, Lord, for Lyndon, that we would step out and we would see a movement here. Lord, I believe it is so realistic for the surrounding communities to look and see the life transformation that is happening in this place, Lord. And people in Bellingham and all over the world, Lord, that they would tune in online and they would see your hand moving and the lives being transformed and people would be curious and they would ask questions, Lord. And would we give them the answer? It is your son, Jesus. Lord, it takes disciples to make disciples. So use us today. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And everyone online and everyone in the parking lot said, amen. Amen.